Luke 10. We're going to be going to start in 17, go through 24. Here we are. The 72 returned, which we'll talk about a little more. We weren't here last week. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Dude, Lord, even the demons submit, submit, submit to us in your name. What? And he said to them, I watched Satan, y'all, fall like lightning. That's why we sing that song. Look, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone whom the Father desires to reveal him. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things that you see, but didn't see them. To hear the things that you hear, but didn't hear them. Jesus, we pray right now that you would reveal to us your heart when you spoke these words to your disciples. Speak them again here this morning to us. As we gather in your name, Lord, speak to us and reveal your, open your words to us as we gather. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. There's nothing more divisive in our culture today than toddlers asking, when you ask your toddlers, what do you want to go to eat? I want burgers. I want chicken. I want spaghetti. I want pizza. No! Unless you're talking about politics. And then... <laughs> there's, there's so many different things in our culture that are so just like divisive and at war with one another. And have always been. I mean, look at his, you open up a history book, crack a history book. Division and two people having a different opinions about something is ain't new. Ain't new. All the way back to the very beginning pages of the Bible, you've got divi divisive people, division, people who brought different things and were accepted or rejected. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel had a different opinion about Abel's life. Abel wanted to live, Cain, not so much. He's like, nope. <laughs> Division has always been a thing in our world as soon as sin entered the world. So here this morning, we're talking about what it means to, to come to this place of unity, to come to this place of, 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 of oneness in our world, to create shalom. Like going all the way back as we talk about shalom, that the, the Hebrew word for peace, we often translate as peace. But what, it doesn't just mean like peace as in like, you know, peace, man. You know, it doesn't mean like just lack of conflict as though, okay, two sides aren't firing bullets at each other. There's peace. I'm talking like peace, like things as, all the way back to the very beginning of your Bible before chapter three, when everything was perfect when God's creation was exactly how he designed it to be. 
When God's creation was operating and growing, he planted a garden. It was flourishing, and Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they were, they were there walking with, in the cool of the morning with God. Animals were, were in perfect harmony with, with one another. Mankind was in perfect harmony with each other. Men and women loved and served one another in a beautiful way. Men didn't have to get out the giant manual to understand his wife. I saw that look. <laughs> everything everything was, was flourishing and was beautiful. And then, pfft, chapter 3. Division entered the world. Division entered into the world. And, and chaos ensued. <laughs> Which we'll talk a lot more about here this morning. But here, here this morning, I want to talk about what it means to walk in God's authority, to bring back that shalom. Walking in God's authority. Jesus is drawing, in our our passage here today, Jesus is drawing back the curtain between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. He's saying, I saw this in the spirit realm. You didn't see this physically. It wasn't like, you know, did did you miss it? Did you see it? Did you see it over there? Like this falling star? No. He saw Satan fall like lightning in the spiritual realm. And he pulling, he's pulling back the curtain to the spiritual realm and to the true nature of the battle Jesus was facing, fighting, and preparing his disciples to face for themselves. This is a, a bold introduction to spiritual warfare that, that Jesus fought and was equipping his disciples themselves to fight. This fight started, I mean, all the way back with the serpent in the, in the, in the wilderness, but it started in Jesus' ministry. This fight, this battle, this, this spiritual warfare started in the wilderness when Satan decided that he wanted to tempt God. He wanted to tempt the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in the wilderness. And let's look at, let's look at the enemy. Let's take a good gander at our enemy. The word Satan means enemy or accuser. So when it says Satan in the Bible, the actual language itself is, yes, it's a title, but as most things, like the word Moses, means drawn from the weeds, from the reeds. It's his name. May have been his real name, may not have been. It just was a descriptive name that they gave different people in the Bible. And so this this name for Satan means accuser, enemy. The other word, the devil, that we talk about, The devil means deceiver and liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Because he's in hell. They're on fire like all the time. But here's the thing. like Satan loves to deceive you, lie to you, get you to sin, get you to stumble, get you to ruin your life in some way, shape, or form, and then turn around and say, I told you so. Look at you, you dirty, filthy person. Don't you feel ashamed now? He likes to lie and deceive coerce you in, and then turn and accuse you after you've given in to what he's deceived you to do. Because he knows that you were not created to do that. He knows that you were not created to go into those broken areas. Our lives were never meant to be broken. Your life was never meant to be broken. That was never God's intention for your life. And Satan likes to get in there and lie to us and turn our minds against the Lord. 
against who he has said we are, against God's authority. Satan doesn't want you to walk in God's authority. He wants you to walk in defeat, in hopelessness, in lostness, in uncontrol. Like you feel like you can't control anything. You're just like going by your living by your passions, living by whatever sounds good or feels good. We see good, you know, really vivid pictures of the Satan, of course, in Genesis, 1, Genesis 3. But we also see a picture of, of, you know, of him in, in Genesis chapter 6. You know, the, this is where in Hebrew literature, the, the, they believe the onset of evil entered in. We see pictures of Satan in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, where he talks about these different kings, the king, king of, of Babylon and the king of Tyre and Sidon, these imageries of these evil kings, but being attributed to Satan, the enemy, the great enemy of God and his people. Now, I want to talk about spiritual warfare in, in this. I'm not going to, there's so much that can be said about spiritual warfare. This is not an all-encompassing sermon on spiritual warfare. This is just a very basic introduction to, <coughs> to spiritual warfare here today. Uh, spiritual warfare refers to an invisible battle in the spiritual realm involving a power confrontation between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Our objective is shalom and goodness. The, 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 the 72 that were sent out, so like we talked about uh, verses 1 through 16, were when God, when Jesus was sending out his 72 disciples, 72 other disciples, and their objective in their being sent out that they're now returning from was shalom, to bring Shalom, peace, flourishing, wherever they went. God's intentions, God's creation, God's kingdom, wherever they went. And goodness, to bring Jesus' goodness, the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God, to bring that near. Because what did he say? He said, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. And also, when they didn't, you know, didn't accept them, he was like, well, guess what? Y'all missed the kingdom of God. Y'all missed it. That was their message. The kingdom of God. And how did they show and, and demonstrate the kingdom of God? By healing people, extra, you know, casting out demons, advancing the kingdom of God, and pushing back the kingdom of darkness. That was their objective. And their weapons were love. Their weapons were healing and deliverance. It wasn't being right. It wasn't going into a theological discussion or a political argument and being right. That's not how people want to argue. That's not how the kingdom of God ever comes near. It's so tempting now. Like that, like that, like that picture. Like someone's at, a, at the computer and someone's like, are you coming to bed? And they're like, I, in a minute, there's someone wrong on the internet. Like we have a part of this like Facebook page that's like funny, it's supposed to be funny memes and pictures, you know, of Christian you know, of, of Christianity, you know, funny, like lighthearted. And then you get that one guy that's like, that's terrible theology. And him, I, blah, 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 blah. It's not a fruit of the spirit. It might be, but it's it's rank. That's a rank fruit. <laughs> It's like the beats of the fruit of the Spirit. Gross. I know I just offended like half of you. 
<laughs> but their weapons were grace, love, healing, deliverance. Deliverance from darkness, deliverance from addictions, deliverance from wrong thinking, deliverance from oppression, a deliverance from and healing from past hurts, abuses, either of ourselves or from others. Wrong words spoken over us, curses spoken over us. You are worthless. You're never going to have anything. You're never going to make anything of yourself. You're just going to be stupid all your life. Why even try? You're not enough. You'll never be enough. And they spoke blessing and truth. You are beloved by God. You are not forgotten. You are seen. You are heard. You are loved. The spiritual victories they were winning were part of the great victory Jesus would accomplish on the cross and which he would empower the church for generations with that same power, that same victory. And that same power and victory that he accomplished that day continues today. Everywhere the kingdom of God advances, as it says here, advances in great joy. Everywhere the kingdom of God expands. It is evidenced by great joy. And so when you walk in your identity, I'm sorry, when you know your identity and walk in God's authority with courageous humility, God's kingdom comes. And there is great joy. Like we talked about last week, what was the gospel message? What is the gospel of the kingdom? The good news, the gospel was what? Of great joy that will be for all the people. And that is what happens. I mean, look at the, look at the Bible here. They returned with what? Joy. joy. They returned with joy. Jesus, he even said, at that time, Jesus rejoiced. A lot of translations, the old Geneva, I love how the old Genevan translation puts it. He joyed. Jesus joyed in the Holy Spirit. So there's a neat, neat uh, Trinitarian uh, picture here. With Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, he says, I praise you, Father. So we see the whole Trinity packed into one verse right there in, in 21. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Hidden these things from the wise. All things were entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. But if you've seen me, if you've seen Jesus Christ, you've seen the Father. And if you've seen Jesus' followers, you've seen Jesus and you've seen the Father. So when the world sees you, who do they see? Do they see you? Do they see the news? Just someone regurgitating what they read, hear on the news? What they read in the newspapers? What they read on, on the internet? Or do they see Jesus? Which means, do they see the Father? Do they hear and experience and see and touch and feel and, and encounter the living Father through you? 
through us. There's a very real spiritual reality. Which means that there's a very real spiritual conflict underlying their eternal, their, their earthly ministry, which means that there is a very real spiritual reality that is undergirding our ministry. So what does it look, what would it look like for them to fight in this battle? Because what, how they fought is the way that we fight. It says, what does it say? Like, even the demons, they were like so excited, like, even the demons submit to us, what? In your name. I wonder if this is, so, you know, after Jesus sent out the 12 earlier on in chapter 9, like in verse 40, uh, basically they, they all came back and, like, the disciples are trying to deliver this, this demonic, possess, you know, this demon possessed boy. And they're they like, well, I, try, I asked your disciples to do it, but they couldn't do it, you know. And Jesus is like, uh, how long must I be with you? Oh my gosh. You're like toddlers. But this, this whole, well, think about this. Maybe they were trying to operate in their own self-confidence. Maybe they had seen them, you know, seen the ability of the disciples of the 12 to be able to deliver the demons and stuff. And so they were trying it out too. Maybe this maybe it wasn't the twelve. It was like the seventy-two others. They were like trying. They were like practicing. Hey, Mule, let's try it. But they forgot whose name that they were delivering the demons in. So maybe this is a self-confidence instead of a Jesus confidence. Do we have self-confidence in our own lives, or do we have a Jesus confidence in the way that we operate and live? Because if it depends on us. Life's going to suck. Life is going to be hard. Life is going to be confusing. Because we try to operate on our, in our own authority, things go badly. Or things, not, or things don't happen at all. That just hit me like a ton of bricks. If we operate in our own authority, either, either bad things happen or just simply nothing will happen at all. Which, remember... Satan doesn't care if you come to church and read your Bible. He just cares if you actually do something about it. A, spiritual, a spirituality that focuses merely on the earthly, practical, you know, success, performance, realization, physical results, even the miraculous. Anything that focuses on the physical, tangible stuff have missed the point of the spiritual reality and full power of God in the heavenly realms. <clears throat> so what does this mean for us? We focus on the spiritual, spiritual realm. We need to understand what's going on in the spiritual realm. But how do we do that? So we look at this, this statement. This is, this is what we're going to be working on for, the, for this morning. Um, when, you know that, when you know your identity, you know who you are, and when you know whose you are. Now, I've been talking about identity for like the last almost four years. And I hope I've, I've, I keep being, banging that drum because it's a good drum to beat. You know, it is it, because if you forget that, nothing else matters. We may as well just wrap up everything, close the doors, and sell the building. If you forget who you are and whose you are, nothing else matters. But when you know, 
when you remember, when you have embedded in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit who you are truly and whose you belong to, who you belong to, and walk in that authority and walk in God's authority with courageous humility, God's kingdom comes and there's great joy. So first let's look at that. Know who you are following is identity. Who are you? I hope after three and a half, four years, you know this. You belong to Jesus. You belong to God. You are his precious, chosen, beloved, blood-bought child of God. Resurrected with him and seated with him in the heavenly realms, made alive, given his Holy Spirit to empower your life and for, to empower you to do the things that God empowers you to do. Empowers you to do the works that he has entrusted to you to do. Know who you are and whose you are. Remember that, remember that, remember that. was one of the most important things to the apostles, so much so that they wrote it down in their original book called the Didache. They said in in, in, uh, Didache 4, verses 1 and 2, go and see the brethren every single day so that you can be encouraged by their words. Text, call, FaceTime, invite people over for supper, go to your act groups, go to your one-on-one, go out to the pub, go out to the coffee shop, be together, shoot a text message to each other, work out together, hang out together. Encourage one another with words of identity. Remind each other who you are. Trust that you have been entrusted with God's authority. Now, it might be one of those things where we're like, yeah, I'm happy and satisfied with who I am. This is great. I'm loved. I'm just enjoying being loved by God. This is awesome. And this is wonderful. But don't forget that there's a second step to our faith, actually doing something about it. We have to walk. But how do we walk? How do we live? How do we do the things that we do? How do we do? Because it's, it's not, you don't get identity by the things that you do. You get your identity, and then you get the things that you do. Do you get that? Do you get the difference? You don't become who you are by what you do. You become who you are because of God. And then you do the things that you do because of who you are. You do things through your true identity in Christ. It's your identity that empowers you. It's God's Holy Spirit that empowers you for good works that he prepared your life beforehand that you should walk in. Romans 8. Trust that you have been entrusted with God's authority. What? To just live a happy life? No. To bring his kingdom. There is an assignment on our lives. Like we talked about last week. Our assignment is to take the gospel, the good news of great joy, to all the people. That's the continuation of the gospel today. The gospel message back then for the shepherds is the same gospel message for us today. Is to take that gospel of good news, of great joy, that is for all people to all people of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected. And to take that, that is how we advance the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the church, big C church. 
And we, Little, church, little C Church, are a little kingdom outpost in Belgrade on Broadway Street. Broadway. There's no street. We are broad. Broadway. The Broadway. To walk in anyone's authority is to know first who you are representing and remember who, who, is, who we are representing. Remembering God is the one who empowers us. And for them to entrust us with his name. So we are advancing his name. That was the biggest criticism of Acts, of the whole, chap, the whole thing of Acts. All the religious rulers, hey, we're, we're fine with you guys like you know, doing all this healing and stuff, but just don't teach and preach in the name of Jesus. You can preach in, in the name of you know, Adonai, of, of, God, of the God that we won't even say Yahweh because he's too holy, versus teaching in the name of Jesus because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of the Father. It's the name. Preach in his name. Live your life through the name that is whose kingdom we are bringing. We are bringing Jesus' kingdom to this earth. Jesus gave the 12 disciples this identity, this power, this authority in chapter 9. Then he gave the same power, message, and authority, identity, to the 72 others. Then he, at Pentecost, he poured it out on everyone. Gentiles, Greeks, and Jews, and everyone. He just poured it out on all people who believed and we're baptized, and he is still pouring it out on you today. And through you today. You have been empowered. Do you, do you get that? To empower people with his Holy Spirit. You have been empowered to give the Holy Spirit. You have been empowered to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have been entrusted with the kingdom. Imagine, if you will, walking into the White House, no matter who's there, doesn't matter, and just us as a church going in there saying, all right, everyone get out. Y'all are done. We're, we're taking charge because our kingdom's better. Our kingdom's greater. Think about it. This just happened in Afghanistan. The Taliban just came in and dethroned the president, came in, and now the Taliban with their, with their machine guns and face masks, they're sitting at the regal royal tables and in the, in the main offices of, of Kabul. Because they're like, we are now in authority. Get out. That's the church. The church has the power and the authority to dethrone any government and power and authority. Because whose authority do we bring? The President of the United States. No! We bring the creator God of the universe who created the president of the United States, no matter who's there. He created the human beings that are in the Senate and in the House of Representatives. He created the mayor. He created the city council. He created our governor and our, and our legislation. He created those people. Does he not have authority over them? And we are his governing authority in this world. We are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. We are the representatives of the king of kings, the president of presidents, the lord of lords. 
You have that authority. That is the kingdom worldwide for all time. The gates of hell will never prevail against it. Kingdom of God. Do you feel the weight of that authority? Because remember, it's not your power. We have to remember that. As we feel the weight of that, we also have to remember that it's not, or it doesn't originate with us. And so it doesn't matter if we try to muster up power and authority on our own. In fact, it's better if you, try, don't, try, if you don't try to do that. God gives power to accomplish specific tasks. God won't give people... I mean, God won't give people power who sit on the sidelines. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a party trick. There's even a story in the Bible where this, this guy is like, oh, give, give me that power to give the Holy Spirit. Here's some money. I'll, I'll pay you for it. Because I curses on that trying to make the Holy Spirit a party trick, trying to buy something that cannot be bought. It was freely given. But he also won't empower people who just simply stand, simply sit by on the sidelines. Because what power, what, what glory is there to, to be had in, in giving someone something that is so powerful and so precious and so beautiful to just bench it. You don't bench your best players, you get them in the game. And you are that player. He wants to put you in the game. Say yes. Because remember, it's not your power. Imagine that. Sitting on the, on the <laughs> going to like a you know, Cowboys game, and I'm just sitting there on the bench. Like, put me in, coach. I'll do it. Knowing I have nothing to give the Cowboys. Of course, a lot of them don't know, don't either because they're you know, they keep losing. But, <laughs> but imagine like you know, you know that as soon as you step onto the field, boom, you are Emmett Smith, and you're just gonna plow through people left and right. Because it's God's Holy Spirit that empowers you to step into the game. It's not your power. But when you step onto the field to say yes to God, he will empower your faith. To move mountains. To deliver people. To heal people. To save people. To bless. But you have to say yes and step onto the field. No more this sitting on the bench just enjoying the game. Because remember, miracles themselves are not the point. He said, even, Jesus even said, like, you know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, well, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Because you know, miracles are not indicative of faith. I mean, think about it. Moses, 
you know, did all these things, and their magicians did the same. Miracles are not uh, one, you know, just in the church, in, in the kingdom of God. Satan does miracles too. He can even empower a body, a dead body in Haiti by possessing it. Miracles are not necessarily indicative of the presence of God. They do give glory to God. And when they're done in his name, the people who receive these things give glory to the Lord. But it's not about the doing of the do, of the things. It's about being the things. I will announce to them, I never what? Knew you. You got to know. You got to know who you are. Know who you are. Remember, miracles are not the point. Faith and joy in the one who causes that healing, that miracle, is the point. It's bringing them to Jesus. Well, why should we get in the game? Like, why should I say yes? Why should I step out and, and, and do that? Like, why should you walk in your kingdom authority? <coughs> Remember that last statement. Because it brings great joy. To those that you bring it to, but guess, remember, remember last time, you know, last week we talked about, you know, when you are pouring out the Holy Spirit, who gets it first? You do. You get a taster of the, of the Holy Spirit before someone else gets it. Before you get to pour it out, you get a taster of it. You got a jolt of Holy Spirit before you pour the Holy Spirit out. It brings great joy. And when you give great joy, you first get great joy. And then when you give great joy and give more great joy, you get more great joy. And on the flip side, how do you get great joy? How do you walk in your kingdom authority? What is the posture in which you walk in? Would you be surprised if I told you that you have to have a healthy schmidgen of hatred? Hatred. You have to have a healthy hatred of Satan and his kingdom. You know, I haven't really hadn't really thought about, much about about Satan. And I was like, I don't like Satan. I want to. I'm fighting against him. I want to resist him. I just I just want to flee from him. I don't want anything to do with Satan. Just get out of get out of here. Get out get out of my life. It's kind of more like he smells. He's like the smelly kid on the playground that doesn't take a bath like ever. You know, just, just get away. Versus, we have to have a posture of absolute abhorrent hatred. Of Satan and everything that he does we don't you know we don't talk to demons and you know talk to Satan but if we could we just say I hate you and everything you stand for and everything that you do in this world and I will fight it till I'm dead and I don't care if you kill me because then I'll be with Jesus and you'll, be still, you'll, you're, you'll still be screwed. Because guess what? I've read it to you. Die in the end. Satan knows the ending. He's known it for thousands of years. He's an injured dog in the corner, lashing out with all of his might, with everything he's got left. Because he is powerless against the kingdom of God. So our posture has to be to destroy him and everything that he stands for. I hate murder because you created it. I hate lies because you are the liar. 
I hate oppression and deception because you created it. Because it, it characterizes and defines you. And I hate everything about you. With an equally dynamic love of God and people. A love for the captives and a hatred against their captors. I'm not talking like human captors. I'm not saying put a name on the captors in this realm. I'm not saying put, a, put a, a stamp of demonic or Satan on a certain political party. I'm saying there are captives and we pray against their captors and pray God's blessing upon the captives. We pray for God's love and grace. We desire both to see Satan's kingdom destroyed and the kingdom of heaven take hold in people's individual lives and throughout our region. To engage in your faith and being active in bringing God's kingdom through intentional acts of love, not random acts of kindness. Put that out of your vocabulary. It's not, an, it's not random acts of kindness. It's intentional acts of agape love. And walking in, in the, the intentional acts of love, intentional acts of healing, intentional acts of deliverance. And to do all these things is to walk in obedience to God. Because these are the, the things that he's called us to walk in. We don't fight simply to kick Satan's butt. We fight to bring heaven to earth. To bring God's shalom to our world's chaos. What happens when you walk in your kingdom authority? Let's look at three things. First, people experience freedom. They experience it. They experience the things that we, that we come to bring. Healing, salvation, and are delivered. It shifts things in the spiritual realm. And when the spiritual realm shifts, number three, the physical realm experiences it and feels it. <coughs> Excuse me. Like in Acts chapter 16, there, there is this, um, this story about when Paul and, and Silas were walking around in, in, uh, in Philippi, and this demon-possessed woman, you know, woman kept shouting things, Oh, these are the followers of the Lord Most High! La, 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 la. I know who you are! Because in order, to speak something over someone is to have power over them. To announce someone's presence in your city is to say, I am above you. I am the territorial spirit above you. I have authority over you. So that's what this demon was trying to say to God's servants. I have authority over you. And Paul, Paul was like, get out. Get out of that woman. Oh, no! Got delivered. And she no longer had their, her, the gift of fortune telling. And all the guys, all, you know, their, her master, they're like, dude, we're not going to make any more money. This is how we made our living. Uh, those guys, throw them in prison. And so they, they, they took Paul and Silas and they threw them in prison. And they were in the internal, like the very center room of the prison, the most secure in chains. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're praising God. They're, the whole prison is hearing the praises of God. They're praying. They're laughing. They're like, yeah, this is awesome, guys. 
Dude, seriously, like, if I'm preaching the gospel and, like, all of a sudden the Gestapo come through the doors and, like, arrest me for preaching Jesus, I'd be like, yeah, let's have a worship night in the prison. (laughs) Shoot, that'd be awesome. But what does it say? 16, uh, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, what? We're listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken. That's an earthquake, by the way. We, felt them, we feel them here. That the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains came loose. When things happen in the spiritual realm, sorry, I forgot to put it up, it shifts things in the, in the physical realm. Like when Peter returned from being, you know, uh, Peter and, and John returned from being told and, and threatened by the Pharisees to stop preaching in Jesus' name, they came back and prayed for more boldness. And what happened? The room shook. There's another earthquake. Maybe we should pray for earthquakes. <laughs> Just kidding. We don't pray for that. Because then that thing would explode. Uh, <laughs> Yellowstone. I was that Yellowstone's that way. One of the one of the things I love this is, is a story that that uh, this lady tells in, in this book that I read and her conferences. She talks about she lives 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 in Houston right now, and she uh, there was this Marilyn Manson com- concert coming to town. And if you know anything about Marilyn Manson concerts, every time the Marilyn Manson concert comes to a city, suicide skyrockets, violent crime skyrockets. There's a spirit of violence and hatred that enters into that city in the wake of a, of a Marilyn Manson concert. And all the pastors and ministers and people in the, in the city were like, we're not going to have it. We're going to pray against this. So for like a month, they like went and had worship night, you know, worship you know, times in front of the venue. They had prayer nights circling the arena. And then they decided that they were going to have a bunch of intercessors praying all at once. And then five of them were going to go into the concert and be praying around the concert, praying for people, laying hands on people, kind of just touching people, brushing them, by, brushing them as they walked by and, and, and praying deliverance and healing and protection over everyone at the concert, praying God's spirit. And one guy was like, I feel like I'm led to go stand over here next to the soundboard. And he prayed. He said, God, I pray that something would happen, that this soundboard would just poop out would just shut off, the concert would end immediately. And almost right after he said this, about a song and a half in, some guy's walking around the sound, you know, near the soundboard with his beer, trips on a cord, spills his beer all over the soundboard, it shorts out, concert's done. Sound completely goes dead. Marilyn Manson takes his mic, slams it on the ground, and then walks off stage, and they cancel the concert. The next week, they institute legislation to never welcome concerts like Marilyn Manson ever into the city of Houston. People got saved. People got delivered. People got healed because of prayer, because of God's warriors fighting the spiritual battle. And what happened? It echoed in the physical realm. They were silenced. The voice of Satan was silenced because of spiritual breakthrough in the spiritual realm. So how do we walk in our kingdom authority? Satan, let me me make sure that we know this. Satan has no direct authority over the earth or people unless people give it to him. His authority is given. 
This guy named George Otis said, uh, Satan's objective then is to gain control over the lives of human beings by dominating over systems, political, economic, and religious that they have created. <coughs> Satan gains ground on uh, through four things. Deception, because he's the father of lies. Division, accusation, devil, because he accuses her, and unlawful possession of territory. How does he do this? A few, a few different things that just kind of thrown out. The shedding of innocent blood. Again, there's a lot more to this, you guys. I'm not gonna, this is not a whole course on spiritual warfare. This is just a short little snippet. Shedding of innocent blood, whether it be through what we did to the Native Americans, whether it be through abortion, the shedding of innocent blood is how Satan advances his territory. Sexual immorality, both hetero and homosexual. Any sexual immorality and distortion of any and all kinds. Um, doubt or distrust in one another and ourselves. Hatred and inciting or stirring up anxious frustration. Anxiety, fear. Two, hand, two, th- two wings to the same bird. And what is the, how does that happen? It, it's, it happens by inciting or stirring up this anxious frustration. Politics, religion, systems, economy, poli- you know, politics in the church, control. And so how do we fight? How do we walk in our kingdom authority? Well, first, remember, you remember who you are. But remember, I want you to remember the fullness. And I just want to give you a little snippet of this that you have, remember, God's Holy Spirit within you. Do you know where God's Holy Spirit was residing during the first half of our Bible? On a little thing called the Ark of the Covenant. They called it the Shekinah glory of God, the dwelling presence of the Lord God on the Ark of the Covenant. It was also the thing that led them, led the Israelites out of Egypt, fire by night, smoke by day. It was the Holy Spirit, Jesus, that met with with Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the Shekinah glory that dwelt with God's people for thousands of years is inside of you and with us and empowering us. So how does the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do when he dwells us? How does he express himself to fight? Let's look at three things. These are going to be very important. We talked about it. We introduced them last year. Worship. Something powerful happens in the spiritual realm when we worship. When we sing our authority, when we sing the truths and the majesties of God, it moves and it shifts things in the spiritual realm. Like a few weeks ago, we had a worship night here. It was, it was kind of last minute. I tried to get the word out quickly, but it, was, it just happened like, you know, in, a, in like two days. Um, and we were praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan for boldness, for protection. We saw 1,200 people delivered, saved. And then, like we talked about last week, we saw an entire house church martyred for the faith in one night while on the phone with a with brother and sister here in the States. Children saying, Mommy, I will not deny Jesus. We were praying in the Spirit. We were worshiping in the Spirit for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, and powerful things are happening and have happened over the last few weeks. 
God indwells and empowers the praises of his people. Also the fellowship. Whenever we get together, whether it be families, whether it be in our act groups, whether it be here this morning, whether it be one-on-one through, you know, or people just hanging out around a campfire, whether it's coming together to worship. I'm going to announce this again. So actually I'll, I'll put, I forgot to put the slide in the, the announcements for later. But next Monday, we're going to have a prayer and worship night right here at Shift Church with people from all over the valley. Please come. Please come. I think it's, it's like 6 or 7 o'clock. I'll find the graphic and I'll put it up on the Facebook page. But please come. It was an incredibly powerful night. There were visions and prophecies that were being spoken and revealed. That our praises, that our prayers were being taken by the angels to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. And they, they, someone called. They were like, we feel your prayers. We feel God's presence with us. And what? By doing what? By prayer. Prayer. It's not just talking to some invisible God out there. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is effective. This is exactly the, the, the apostles, uh, what they, you know, they, the, the early church, you know, we talked about like, you know, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to worship, to come together, to learn, to glean, to, to grow, to express and worship, to fellowship, to break bread, and to pray, individually and collectively. And we need to devote ourselves to the same things, to worship in spirit and in truth, to the fellowship and breaking bread, and to prayer. Three things that we need to, be, we need to devote our, ourselves to in the church, here at Shift Church. Worship, fellowship, prayer. We do, we need, and we need to... As, as we do this, we are devoting ourselves to being that non-anxious, unhurried presence in our culture. And remember, when you know your identity and walk in God's authority with courageous humility, one of our values here, God's kingdom comes and there is great joy. Remember, Remember who you are and who it is that is empowering you, giving you his authority, courageous humility. God's kingdom comes and there will be great joy. Jesus, we pray, God, that you would intercede for us. God, that you would empower us to worship, to fellowship, and to pray together. You would empower us, God, to fight, to walk into this world, to show and put on display Jesus so that, we, so that this world may see the Father through our walking in our faith. And that we would rejoice that our names are written in heaven with you, God. And go and bring your kingdom, to advance your kingdom in this world, Lord. We want to make much of you. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Be with us, Lord Jesus. Empower us, Lord, for your work and for your assignment that you would give to us. 
the work that you would have for us to accomplish. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.